0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time to anchor down.
1: Welcome to the Monday edition of the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, Chip Frederick joins us as we talk Commodore baseball. Chip appears on the guest line. That's presented by my friends, Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. Try their sheets. You will be amazed. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY. Get $50 off your first set of sheets. You can try them free for 30 days and return them after that, but you're not going to want to. I've used Bowling Branch sheets for about seven years now. They are hands down the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. They are made with 100% organic rain-fed cotton. They get softer with every wash. Just one of those things you have to try for yourself, and then you'll understand. Go to Bowling Branch today and order some sheets, and you can thank me for that later. Today's news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at SB Entry Law, and please tell them you heard about them on the Vanity Sports Podcast. Well, the Commodores lose 2-3 in Gainesville to the Gators. Vanderbilt wins the Friday game behind Kumar Rocker, but loses the final two as the Gators take the series. The Commodores now tied with Tennessee at 14-7. and Atop the SEC standings, they are one full game behind Arkansas for the SEC's overall lead. Chip Frederick joins us today. He's a former Commodore pitcher. He is a season ticket holder and an avid watcher of Vanderbilt Baseball. I know, Chip, you didn't get to see as much this weekend because you got a soccer tournament, but I know you followed it. Uh, So let's talk about it. Vanderbilt loses a series to Florida. Uh, my dog apparently is very unhappy about this at the moment. You may mm-hmm. hear him throughout the broadcast. But uh, what was your takeaway or, or takeaways from the weekend?
0: Well, it, it was, uh, you know, I think, Chris, Friday night kind of set the tone. And that's going to sound a little odd. Um, and for those who've played the game or, or, or have coached or, or been around it, you will know. And especially a, a guy like Tim Corbin who and his staff who you know, strive for perfection and doing things the right way and closing games out. But when you get up to, what was it, a 10-2 lead uh, on the road in the Southeastern Conference, you got to close those things out. And I guarantee you that Tim Corbin did not go to bed with a very good feeling on Friday night with the 11-7 victory. Now, you can say a couple different things about that. I know that we even heard, you know, Tim say before, you know, you're never going to poo-poo a win. A win in this league is is uh, their gold, and you got to treat them like that. But at this point in the season, the way Friday ended, and it was a struggle where Florida kept chipping away, and there was situations where, you know, a guy on decks, the tying run, and all that, it just didn't feel right. And to be honest. I know that you've written on the board, uh, which I view, you know, at times, uh, about exams and if there was any fog, you know, brain fog going on with exams or or what have you. But it just looked to me uh, through – I'm a pretty good reader of facial expressions and uh, body body, uh, viewing as far as how guys carry themselves – And there wasn't a lot of spark this weekend, especially from the pitching staff. I just did not see any of the guys who were out there have any spark or spunk about him. I'm going to be honest. I didn't think Kumar Rocker had the best outing. I mean, you look at, he struck out eight. He did his thing. But he looked sort of indifferent. And I don't usually say that about Kumar Rocker. Um, I had somebody else uh, say that to me, a former player, that... Uh, You know, not that he'd rather be in another place or just you just kind of it was a game where it looked like Kumar just wanted to get it over with. And there wasn't a a lot of spark from him. And then the guys that followed Schultz, Murphy, Berkwich, Maldonado, uh, you know, with the exception of Maldonado, those three other guys I mentioned didn't have a spark either. So it was a weird weekend and I think it carried over to game two. And then it carried over to game three. And in this league, it is a very unforgiving league, especially a team like Florida, who's had Vanderbilt's number in Gainesville over the last, you know, 18 games or so. I think they're like, they were 15 and three or 14 and four in that range. And I just thought this team was a little listless this weekend. Sure, they came back on occasion. They battled back. They scored runs. Enrique Bradfield had a hell of a weekend. I can't say enough about that freshman. And uh, if, if you go by what anybody did, you know, Isaiah Thomas had a nice weekend too, but I'm going to have to get on the pictures here because I did not see one guy other than Maldonado on Friday night who stood out and I'm not going to say they didn't want to be there. I just felt there was a little bit of just, um, I don't know if they were tired, if they were not motivated and you can't have that at this time of year.
1: I'm. Um- with you, I don't know that I noticed the body language and stuff, but I left Friday night thinking I really wasn't really that impressed with the way they won. They strung together some base runners early. They got a big lead. You know when you start having to burn your good relievers, like you have an eight-run lead against Florida. You're thinking at that point, just get through this and save Maldonado for where you need him later. They couldn't do that. To me, that was a really bad omen, even with the win on Friday night.
0: Yeah, and it was just a boring game. It was just a real – I mean, and I've been in those games before, and like you said, you're on the road, you want to get it over with. But when you got Tom Hart and Kyle Peterson talking about prom dresses and tuxedo, I mean, as a broad, i – I'm just taking it from my former doing broadcast. That's one of those games that literally when you're reaching for stuff to talk about because that's the way the, the demeanor of the game kind of was. And you're just wanting you to get it over it with your Vanderbilt. But when you start doing that, and you're not paying attention to what you're supposed to be doing as far as throwing strikes, getting the ball over the plate, pitching the contact, which in that case, Schultz, Murphy, and Berkowitz did not do. And, you know, Burkwich he's he's a young kid. He he struggled. I mean, he gave up the bomb. Uh, and that kind of acerbated it. So. Yeah, you know, and, and I, it, it, there is a carryover in this league. I've talked about it ever since we've done this press conference. That Friday night game is a huge, or game one, whatever you want, some nights Thursday now. There's a huge carryover that goes on to the next two games. And if this sounds nuts, might sound nuts to some people, but I thought Florida, even though they lost, had a little bit of momentum going into Saturday. And, you know, they, they battled back. They were scrappy. They didn't give up. And, and I think that carried over to the next two games. And, but when you, when you don't throw strikes, when you're in the case with what happened with Leiter, what happened with uncharacteristically with McIlvain on, on Sunday, we've been bragging about him for weeks. He's a, he's a strike thrower. He gets ahead in the count. Well, none of that happened. So it's, it's the same old song and dance that we've been talking about. And, you know, we've said two, three, maybe it was six, seven weeks ago when it was just on cruise control and you had Rocker dealing and you had lighter dealing. And I remember I said in one of the podcasts, there's going to be a weekend when those guys, one of them or both of them, you know, fall short and they don't have it and something happens. Well, that's happened on two different weekends. Rocker had the rough w- weekend. Lighter didn't pitch all that great against Tennessee. He kind of comes back against State, but it's still not the lighter what you're used to. And maybe the expectations of what we had before, maybe he's getting figured out a little bit. Maybe scouting reports are being passed around by coaches. You know, there are there are coaches in this league who are friends, more friends with other guys than they are other, and and they might share things. Maybe he's tipping pitches. I don't think he's hurt. Uh, Some people I saw on your board say he's got somebody, uh, you know, swore that he looked like he had arm trouble. He would not be out there if he had arm trouble. Trust me. I know this coaching staff too well. So, you know, it it just gets down to trying to figure these things out. It's a young team still, and they they got a ways to go, but I don't think it's disasterville. But it wasn't a good weekend, and it probably wasn't a pleasant, not much said on the flight home, on the charter flight home last night from Gainesville.
1: Yeah, and look, just a a bad pitching weekend all around. To the lighter thing, it looked like to me like the fastballs that he was throwing a month ago that were letter high and couldn't be handled are now going belt high. That being one thing. He's hanging a lot of breaking balls. I don't know if he's just to the point where... He's a little fatigued because he's never thrown this much, and sometimes that happens to you. Most of these kids, and, and Lighter's really more like a freshman than a sophomore in that regard because last year got canceled. Kids aren't used to throwing this much this early in the year, and then you throw in exams. I'm sure they're staying up late sometimes for those. It just really, from a, from a fatigue perspective, I don't know if that's the issue or not, but if it is, you could understand how.
0: Well, he's thrown 64 innings this year, and you know that's quite a bit. He threw in the no-hitter game. He threw 123 pitches, and we're not—I'm not, not harkening back to that too much and putting any emphasis. But you know, he generally has a week in between uh, out. Yeah, you know, you know t- between times that he pitches. Uh, but the difference between Lighter and and Corbin has mentioned this in some press conference, You can when you get ahead in the count you go 0-2 on a lot of batters, you're totally in control when you're a pitcher. When you're not throwing strikes and you're going you know, 3-0 counts, 3-1 counts, you're trying to climb the ladder back and get back involved, it really takes a toll. I mean, he threw 93 pitches in four innings. And that's almost unfathomable for what he has done in the past. I mean, it it, it just isn't. I mean, you you can't... In yesterday's game, for example, and just a little pitching observation, McElvain on seven straight batters, and I took note of this, seven straight batters, he went to a three-ball count. And, you know, you just can't do that in this league. It catches up with you. You have two – the talent level of hitters is too superior to be going, well, you're going to count – you're going three-ball counts – and it, it, it just it it exacerbates the situation of when you get the favorable counts with hitters and schools like Florida and guys who can mash, your the outcome is not going to be in your favor. I don't care how hard you throw, I, I don't care how what a cutter you have or sweep and breaking ball, those are favorable counts. Jack Leiter when he threw his no hitter and when he was throwing in Baton Rouge was ahead in the count consistently. Now. I don't know what's going on in the first inning with him. Uh, you know, and even in the games when he's thrown really well, Chris, and I don't know if you've taken note of this, he hasn't thrown well in the first inning. I mean, he struggled. No, and, you're right. Uh, and And so, you know, that's just something that's just strange and odd to me. But you know, maybe this week he, they can straighten some things out. But you know, everybody's got a theory about it. He's you know, he's hit the wall. You know, because last year really doesn't count as far as his experience in the league and the words out on him and here's how you attack him and he's you know different things and like you said, belt high, letter high, all these different theories. But I will say this about pitching and 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 this league and Major League Baseball too. 94 95 straight you can catch up to uh, 94 95 with some wiggle in it and and some tail in it is really hard to deal with and he has that motion that is sort of um not a robot but mechanical he goes back and those are guys actually i when i used to hit i used to love hitting against those guys because it was almost you knew where it was coming There's, you know, with Rocker, he has a lot of arms and he's a bigger guy and it's arms and legs and those can mess with your vision. But lighter uh, is really much of just a step back over your head and here it comes. But if it doesn't have any wiggle in it, uh, you can catch up with it and the good hitters in this league will do so.
1: Okay, I got two things because the lighter thing is one and we've talked about that. I mean, I think any thing else we say to that would just be speculating, but obviously he is not commanding his pitches the way he would. I don't think it's time to throw in the towel on him for the season, not that anybody was suggesting that. But I think that that's one that, like, he could come back rejuvenated in a couple weeks and dominate from here on out wouldn't surprise me. Uh, That's one thing. The other thing, I, I just think that pitching becomes a domino thing, okay? You've lost Doolin. You've lost Laboki. I guess you've lost Miles Garrett, who could have helped them for an inning or two here and there. And that's tough enough for any pitching staff to survive, especially if you throw in Spencer Jones. Well, I think if you'd said a year ago, Spencer Jones is their number three, if you know in that case that... that um Oh, the kid who started game three of, of the uh, Michigan series in Omaha. Um, I, I've gone totally blank on his name. Mason Hickman. Good grief. Mason Hickman. Yeah. yeah, like if you know Hickman's gone, you say, okay, Spencer Jones, if he's in that three hole for them, it's not surprising. Well, Spencer Jones is not going to throw a pitch this year because of that arm injury. So now that's that's three key guys that you're down. Uh, another guy in Garrett who was being used because of that, Who they're down. So that's four. And then I'm not going to get political here, okay? But what the school has done with Ethan Smith is completely ridiculous. And it's put them in a competitive disadvantage. I know a lot about that situation. Um, Some of them I'm just going to need to keep to myself, to be honest. But the NCA, and again, not to get political... The NCAA has completely overstepped, I think, with the tournament protocols. Half capacity places is just silly. At this point, everybody's getting the vaccination, and everybody who goes to the ballpark who hasn't knows the risk. So the, the NCA, in my mind, the, the attendance policies and some of the policies it has set are, are overstepping. Vanderbilt's policies for COVID go above and beyond that. Ethan Smith has not, from what I understand, had a single symptom of COVID – uh, but when, when you when you hit a positive test, it starts a cycle of things. And you know, next thing you know, you gotta get tested for this and that and the other thing at Vanderbilt where you don't have to at the NCA and and then you miss time and you lose conditioning. And that's a kid that under normal circumstances, I think at this point of the season, and frankly at other schools to be honest. They wouldn't have handled it the way Vanderbilt has. He'd be pitching in the three-hole. He'd probably be going four, five, maybe six innings, and all of a sudden a lot of these issues that we have talked about, even with all the other injuries, are, are moot. But, no, the, I, I think the school has been silly in the way it has handled it, and, he, and here they are. Um, the other one, and I, I don't mean to, to put a kid in the crosshairs but because I like his ability, but it just hadn't pan out this year. Man, if, if Thomas Schultz just goes – and gives him three innings, which I thought he was capable of doing. He's a strike thrower. He wasn't throwing strikes on Friday night. If he could just get three to four innings out of Schultz to close that game down, then the complexion of the weekend is entirely different. E- even any one of those two circumstances, even with all the stuff that's gone on, maybe that weekend plays out differently because they can play it a little different on Saturday. And and maybe they come out with the with the series win. I still didn't like the way they played, uh, but the fact is you you change a couple things in there, and I know everybody's got injuries, but they've had a lot, and maybe the whole thing plays out a bit differently.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we we were saying that well, it's McIlvain's turn. You know, he's earned the spot. He and which I you know I kind of thought he had. But guys have roles, Chris. You, know, you develop into these roles, and maybe McIlvain's not the starter-type role. Maybe he's the guy who comes in, the glue guy, who can give you four or five in the middle of the game when you need to. Uh, and, you know, it, it seems like we've done a little musical chairs here on the Sunday starter, but it's almost by necessity. I mean, there have been no other people out there, especially with the absence of Ethan Smith. I mean, we haven't seen Ethan Smith sin, since Baton Rouge. Uh, that seems like yeah. a month ago. And, you know, you look at I him and he's 11 and two-thirds innings this year. He's got a three ERA. He's 1 and 0. But I agree with what you said that it. it um, he was the guy that naturally think was going to step into that. And we'll just see if he gets released. I do agree. You know, it's it seems a little overstepping. I don't know the situation. You know more than I do. And uh, I just feel bad for the kid because this is just some, you know, you I'm sure he's maybe throwing somewhere if he has to go to Centennial Park and throw. I'm, I'm kidding, but there's places around here in Nashville you can throw hitting facilities or pitching facilities and, and stay in condition. But, yeah, I mean, it's just going to be very weird when you have a Starkville regional and they've had 14,000, 15,000 people or Oxford regional, and now uh, are you telling me that they can only have seven? Is that what the – it, it, because it's an NCAA event, right? Yeah, Tell no
1: what? more than 50% capacity. That's correct. No, that's,
0: that's ridiculous. Well, but.
1: and, and then look, we're, we're still – here's the thing. I think it's ridiculous now. I think it's more ridiculous when you're talking about games that are a month, a month, and a half out. That's just – that's absurd.
0: Yeah, I mean, who knows what Omaha, Nebraska is going to be like in late June. Uh, but I guess to – you know, you have to have – tickets i mean that that is something on a national stage event you do have to have some sort of you know how tickets are going to be handled and, and I mean, that makes more sense than again you have to look at it as far as you know where where covid is across the country where the reaction rates are and and in southern states some states it's really you know in michigan and i could see where michigan would be one thing but some of these states where there's not an outbreak and the, it, it, it doesn't make sense, but we could, that could be a whole nother show. Uh, and, but getting back to the matter, I I do think, you know, a little bit of the musical chairs that's happened on Sunday has, you know, it's kind of like, okay, here's your shot, Chris McIlvain. Well, that, it didn't really work out. And Schultz, Schultz he's had his shot and we've, we've had some other kids, kids come in that role and we got some kids, you know, who's going to be next. And, you're getting in a situation with Alabama coming into town uh, where it's not desperate st- straights, but this team needs to get back on the snide a little bit on the W column. I'm not saying they're, you know, they're in anything could happen where they could lose a regional bid, but just for their own well-being and their mental capacity. And we've talked about where May is a time where Vanderbilt kind of kicks into gear schools out. Uh, it's a little different this time and years past. Uh, I, I said last week, I've never really seen a Corbin team fold in May. They usually, I mean, as long as I remember, this has been the month, the Tim Corbin month, where his guys rally and they start playing their best baseball. He also hadn't had the injuries that he's had, especially the pitching staff. So that's going to be a key. They need to get Ethan Smith back and get him ready to go. Uh, they, you know, it doesn't get any easier. You got Louisville this week, midweek, and that's a big emotional game. So, you know, it, 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 who knows how that's going to be? And I'm sure Louisville will be revved up for that one, uh, you know, with all the stuff that happened two years ago in Omaha and the, the angst and the emotions were there. But this team's got to meet the test. I, I don't care how young they are. You, you look out there and you see who the guys who are enthusiastic and rallying and, and the ones who are emotional, and Enrique Bradfield's one of them. I mean, that guy looks like he's a junior or senior. And uh, you got to like that. You got to have the, you got to have emotion in this game when you're emotionally drained. If it is exams or you kind of hit a little bit of wall, you got to have some guys pick you up and you want to see that out of your club.
1: This season of the podcast presented by my friend, Jody Jones, DDS. You can find him at 55 Music Square East in downtown Nashville. If you need cosmetic dentistry, if you need regular dentistry, Jody is your guy Go to his business. You will be blown away. It is truly a spy-like atmosphere. He gets movie stars, music stars, titans, predators, coaches, all kinds of people. He is your go-to dentist in Nashville. And I think his clientele list of people who can go anywhere they want to go, but they choose Jody, tells you all you need to know. Go in and see Jody Jones soon for all your dental needs and tell him you appreciate his sponsorship this year of the Vanity Sports Podcast. Well, in case people are forgetting, and it's been so long since Ethan pitched that I think people are forgetting what they've got in him. Um, I'm looking at stats. I'm having to add these up in my head. He is, I think, 8-0 with two saves for his career. He has thrown what's almost 65 innings, I think 64 and two-thirds, He has given up 19 earned runs, so do the math on that. That ERA is under three. Given up two home runs. He has walked 29 guys, which, like, if you have a a nit to pick with him, it's the walks, but that's not absurd for a college arm. I mean, you got a lot of guys that are effective walking five or six, and he's a little per nine, and he's under that. He has struck out 86 guys in, in 65 innings. I mean, that's the kind of arm they're missing his whip I think is below 1.1 which is excellent I I mean this is a kid who should be pitching for them should be pitching in big roles and at any other school chip he's he's not only pitching but he's pitching in key roles because you know he's going to get stretched out and, and and problem solved but uh, Vanderbilt has just done them no favors with this, and I'll just I'll just move on from here. But let's talk about the lineup. One thing that was interesting this weekend was you saw Jason Gonzalez get benched for Saturday's game after another throwing error. I, I think Jason's really good defensively at times, but my goodness, if, if he's got a ball that's going to be a close play, More often than not, he rushes the throw and and sails it over the first baseman's head. He's going to have to learn to eat those. He sat for that on Sunday. Parker Nolan played third. Uh, You saw Tate Colwick back in the lineup, which I don't know what to make of that yet. Tate had a bad game defensively on Saturday. That part doesn't really worry me. I think he's going to be pretty steady there. I just wonder what they will get with the bat because I don't know how much he's going to be able to drive the ball. Now, that said... Um, I think it was him. I think he hit a double. And, and, yeah, he did. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, frankly, I thought he had a little more pop in his bat than I thought. So, it's just going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. I think and left uh, is another thing to look at because defensively, he's always been a little bit shaky. Not I think in left, it's not a big impact defensive position. You maybe get a couple of chances a game. Most of those are going to be routine fly balls. So I don't know, even though it looks kind of ugly at times, I don't know how much Bolger's hurting them out there. I know he had the the misplay this weekend, but from what I understand, the wind was really blowing. And I think you might have had some good outfielders have trouble with that. So I, I don't know if it's worth messing with moving Bolger out of left. I thought maybe at some point uh, you could see Colwick in left because he played some center last year. But it was interesting to see how the parts moved around at times this weekend.
0: Yeah, and I think it was was it that fifth inning error that Colwick made? It was a two run error that really, you know, you had Vanderbilt that battled back. I mean, it, it was this. He was five to four at that point.
1: And, um, and in his defense, that ball was smashed.
0: Yeah, it was smoked. Yeah, and and you know, he's only made two errors all season, Chris, and both of them were this weekend, uh, if the stat sheets right. So, you know, as far as third base is concerned, I mean, Jason Gonzalez has twice as many more than two times as many errors as anybody on the team the team has 39 errors and he has 11 of them and it's almost when when it starts to get to be 50 50 whether he's going to field it or throw it away that becomes a mental problem and you know he's hitting 311 he in the spot where he is in the nine hole been most of the year that's a good spot to have a guy who's batting that way but um yeah, I mean, I I did notice that that he got you know he had to sit down on that on Saturday's game. You know, I don't. Is, is Cooper Davis hurt or was that a benching?
1: Man, I don't know. I, that's one of those where we didn't have any media with them uh, right, this week, good. and I I don't know that he would have. Tim's going to probably protect Cooper a little bit, so I don't know how honest an answer we would have gotten. Um, and and by the way, I don't say that judgmentally. Cooper is. Goodness gracious, earned his shot, uh, been a good teammate, been a good player when he's right, but he just doesn't look right to me.
0: No, he doesn't, and uh, he hasn't ever since, you know, I mean, just a terrible situation, first at-bat at bat of the season. That seems like it was a year ago, But um, and, and so I don't know. I know he had some hamstring issues, and maybe there's trying to get him to where it's – a lot of times when you're struggling – and you for various reasons sitting is not the worst thing in the world and observing and watching and getting healthy rather than trying to play through it you can't sit there with a hamstring if you aggravate that too much it could be a a month issue rather than it is uh you know week to week so we'll have to keep our eyes on that you know as far as that's concerned with him but yeah you know you've a lot of moving parts out there this weekend, trying some different spots, trying to you know get a little get a little spark and and but it just seemed like from the get go, you know it became an issue. I mean we we out hit Florida yesterday, Chris.
1: Yeah, ten hits,
0: ten yeah. to six. But the, but the glaring thing about yesterday, uh, and and what I what I what I saw and observe uh, from it is we had ten hits. 10 strikeouts and one walk. Florida had six hits, nine strikeouts, and eight walks. You got to throw strikes. And it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's when you walk. Florida, I mean, they had one walk. Florida walked one batter. I hope I made myself clear on that. It it, kind of sounded the opposite, but I mean, their pitching staff yesterday had one walk. We had eight walks. Uh, you know, nothing happens good when you walk people. I just had a coach tell I me mean, that there's so many bad things that can happen. But when you at, out hit a team on the road that has the power that Florida has and is resurging, and they recruit well and their their classes are in the top ten every year, you should win that game. You should win seven times out of ten. But the pitching staff uh, just laid an egg this weekend. I, it it just was not their weekend, and you cannot continue to do that in this league and expect to be successful. And, uh, you know, errors this weekend, although there were a couple that some people that didn't yeah, – yesterday errors, we didn't boot the ball around, no errors. It was walks and and uh, and and having command of the strike zone. And the guys we rolled out there this weekend, except for one or two, uh, none of them looked the part this weekend. Not that they're not talented. I don't, I don't want to take it personally. But none of them looked like they were up to the challenge of facing a team that was 30 and 13 at the end of the weekend uh, and uh, crawling up your back in the standings, one game out, I guess, now from uh, taking over your spot. And I guess we're tied now in in the standings, uh, 14 and 7 with UT, and Florida's one game back. So all of a sudden it's gotten really interesting.
1: And in Arkansas, one game in front of everybody. but. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, again, that's how close they are. Like, you, you just give them Ethan Smith and give them a decent outing with Schultz. Even as much as it's gone wrong, they're not that far. I mean, they played, frankly, horribly a lot of the weekend, and they still almost beat a team that's the best team in the league in terms of winning at home. Now, Florida goes on the road, and it's a different story. And And, by the way, is poorly as far as playing on the road. If they lose that series in Lexington this weekend it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, I mean look, just you you put a couple things in place and this team is is really good and really tough to beat down the stretch, I think. And we'll just see how that plays out. But one more thing I wanted to throw at you, Chip. I thought that Parker Nolan had the chance to kind of be the odd man out. I mean I say the chance because their faith in him seems to have been unwavering. He's one of three guys that started all SEC games. I think he started all games period. Maybe has missed one. Really has not been putting up a lot of numbers in the league, but he's hit well the last couple weekends. He's got another home run the opposite way. Uh it just seems to me like he is really starting to hit the ball a lot better.
0: Yeah, I was I was impressed with him. Uh you know, he's hitting 289 which you, know, you kind of compare him with Keegan. Keegan started out really, really hot, uh, and he's kind of settled down, which young players do. That's going to happen in this league. But Nolan uh, has kind of done the opposite. And and what you want to have is some consistency from all your guys, you know, one through nine or, you know, the 13 or so that are getting at-bats. But, yeah, I, I was impressed with him, the way he did go opposite field this weekend. He looked confident and you just hope it's a, it's a thing to come for the next, you know, three four weekends. And yes, he has he's played in all forty one games and started all forty one. He is Bradfield and Nolan uh, Nolan are the two guys along with Carter Young. They've started every uh, game that has been played.
1: One more thing that was interesting: C.J. Rodriguez did not start the second game. Came in in the middle innings. I guess he had words with the home plate umpire. Uh, in, in late in game one, I'm thinking that might have been a factor in him playing but he not looked, starting. I, I don't he, know either, but
0: he looked like he took one. If you remember, though, Chris, on Friday night, yeah, he took one off the hand. Yeah, uh, I think he. Like I think he
1: might have taken it. Well, yeah, he he got. I think he had a couple of those, didn't he? Like one yeah. while he was catching and one while he was batting.
0: Right, he got hit. Uh, you know, he's taken some. I think the book on him, and for a lot of these guys around the league, uh, might be in some scouting reports to throw him way in on the hands. And if you recall, he's taken last weekend against Mississippi State, he took one on the hand, uh, and um, it was a, it was a jams inside. And I think that ha- might have happened again this weekend. So, not sure. I'd be just speaking out of tune if I if I, if I said that he had words with the umpire. I did not observe that, and maybe it was just a thing they were giving some rest. Uh, but uh, because of the hand, but it might have been he had to come back in out of necessity.
1: Let's go into the mailbag. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at Minton HQ or facebook.com forward slash JD Minton HQ. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. There was a question about lighter. believe we've already answered that. This is a good one from All In for Vandy. What are realistic best case, worst case scenarios for the season?
0: Well, I think that uh, this weekend can't come any sooner uh, for these guys. But you also have to look at it as there's an urgency to get back out there and, and right the ship. But they just need to have a successful weekend and uh, Alabama coming to town. It's a it's a team that has been a little up and down. They they did uh, win you know three against Missouri, which who hasn't? Uh, and and so, but they they've had some opportunities this year where they haven't played uh, good baseball. They got some guys coming back uh, through the rotation that have been hurt, so they could be a formidable opponent this weekend. But you just. This weekend, I think is going to tell you a lot. I really don't know if Tuesday against Louisville is going to tell you a whole lot, to be honest, just because of, you know, you don't know who's going to throw that in that situation, and, and it's going to be an emotional game. But getting back into having a successful SEC weekend is paramount for these guys because, you know, it's a confidence factor when you're when you're young when you're when you're when you have some struggles and you start out thinking yourself. I think it'll be a good time to get these guys in the cage, get some pitchers in the pen where they can throw off to the side and and do some things. But, you know, realistic expectations, I mean, you want to close out strong. You don't want to be limping into the tournament. But you know, you've got Alabama at Ole Miss and Kentucky here in Nashville. So two of the three at home. And, you know, we all know that that Ole Miss is a really, really tough place to play. So, on paper, two of the three weekends should be teamed just on talent that Vanderbilt should do really well against, the Alabama and the Kentucky. But, you know, Kentucky's been sort of up and down. Uh, you want to go into the tournament with uh, – in order to do what you want to do, this pitching thing with the number three starter got to be solved and you got to go with somebody. The musical chairs thing, I don't think, is something they don't want to do. And you really got to get a four guy. You got to get your not only you got your three guy, but you got to solidify your four guy for the tournament. Especially because what usually happens is if you open up on a Thursday, I don't know if it'd be if you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next three weeks, but normally Wednesday or Thursday, you're not going to see the number one guy. You're not going to see Kamar Rocker in game one. It just that Tim's never done that. So it's going to be a guy, it's going to be a three, four, or five guy getting that nod. So You don't want to limp into the tournament and not have those things unsolved, Chris, because if you do, then it's just going to create doubt. But, uh, you know, because what's happened is, I think as Vanderbilt fans have have become numb to the fact that, all right, we're just going to, you know, it's rock or lighter, rock or lighter, we're going to blow through the first two games. And those guys are human. They've shown, they've got human instincts. They're not... Uh, ready to pitch in the big leagues tomorrow night, and and they've got some things they got to work through and get straight, and that's why the coaches get paid what they get paid, and that's why they enjoy this time in May to spend with these guys baseball 24-7 and work some kinks out and get them fresh and get them to where they're not thinking about school and they're thinking about baseball. That's every coach's dream, so... <clears throat> the expectations are to finish these next couple weekends on a on a good note. Find the three starter and the four starter, go into the SEC tournament with. Uh, I'm not so sure right now. Winning it is just paramount, but getting to where everybody's healthy or healthier to where a regional you're you're blowing and going and, and with your guys, your top guys, you know who's supposed to be playing in the field you got the problem solved. You know, you get, you're not worried about Colwick's hamate. You're not worried about uh, anyone's hamstring. All those things are more important, I think, this year, more than ever. And I'm, I always like going to saying, you go down there to win it in Hoover. But maybe not – I don't think they're going to be – it is a paramount to win down in Hoover. You want to go. If you're going to go and you want to win it. But I don't know for this team and the wet they've been through and COVID and injuries – just get out of there healthy and get to a regional.
1: You know, it's funny you say that. Somebody texted me this weekend on the same subject. Said it might just be in their best interest to go down there and and lose a couple and get home. I don't think I've ever thought that might be more the case th- this year. And you hate to see it because that's a fun event and building wins, builds your resume and, and confidence, and you know gets guys going into the NCA's on a hot run of things, but. There might be something to that. Number two, Chip, you have you played in this league uh, 30 years ago. You've watched it consistently ever since. I'm going to read you D1 Baseball's top 25 this week. It just came out this morning, and I think these guys are the best at it. Arkansas 1, Vanderbilt 2, Mississippi State 4, Tennessee 5, Florida 10, Ole Miss 12, uh south carolina 19 i guess that's it uh you know alabama kentucky uh, not in there but would probably be in the nc tournament today if, if the field were picked you followed this league a long time it has been the best baseball league consistently i think in that time the acc might beg to differ some years the big 12 but i think over the last 30 years the sec has been the best conference on the whole have you ever seen it tougher than it is this year
0: no, it's just a meat grinder. And everybody knows everybody and their tendencies by weekend six or seven. And there's nothing – I think it's it's refreshing uh, for these guys to get in a regional uh, where they don't have to see people from their league because it, it's just – it's it's so intense and it is uh, – you know, it's elite players versus elite players. I, I, I actually hate it when I see – regional pairings come out and you see that supers are paired against each other. And I think the NCAA does that on purpose because they don't want to have, you know, six teams in Omaha that are from one conference. So it's going to have to happen. I think it would be best for Vanderbilt's sake that they not let that happen. Uh, just not that I think they're scared of anybody in the league. I just think it'd be a, an easier path for them, um, especially having a, a younger team. Uh, and some of the injuries they've had, if they're not going to be healthy, but you're going to see some of that. Just in, and that's unfortunate, because again, you're not you want to have six out of eight teams being from from one conference, but um, I don't think it's I don't I've never seen this the national rankings this high. Especially I've seen it top twenty five, top twenty, but not top ten like this. I mean, there was one weekend where the first five were all SEC, so it just goes to show you what this league's about, and and uh, I think that uh, if they, you you'll see a lot of that with the pairings going out and the regional sites. Chris, what what goes on on that? Because I really haven't followed it. The May tenth, the May tenth announcing. So they gonna announce host sites. Early, right? Earlier than normal, right? Well,
1: they've changed it a little bit right around that that date. So it'll be they'll play the Alabama series in Louisville midweek game, Will Vanderbilt, and then sometime next week, I guess, before conference play. I don't know if they said a date, but I think they said that week. I think it's the 10th. I
0: think it's, I Ma- think maybe, it's maybe they did set today. a date.
1: But um, in any case, they will announce now 20 potential hosts. Okay. So that gives them a little bit of wiggle room, which I think is actually smart. Um, for once the NC did something intelligent, but that gives a little bit more wiggle room if, if a team surges or, or or flops between now and then. And then of course they'll announce, I think the seating normally, but that that's all to, you know, get everybody, make sure everybody is meeting their COVID protocols and and whatever. So I I like the fact that they built in a little bit more wiggle room. I didn't like selecting the 16 hosts with basically three weeks of baseball to play. So that – and frankly, you get to this point in the season, once they get to that point, there's going to be eight or nine teams that are basically going to already be hosting. They've locked in enough body of work. So um, you got that. And so now I think that that – I'm not going to say that, it, that a team can't pop up between now and the end of the season that you're like, oh, man, they they should have been hosting. Um but I think that going from sixteen to twenty at least helps you in that regard
0: right and if, if, if one other note here, have you heard any uh discussion um is are the commodores at their limit for games? Can they add any games here because I noticed I don't remember seeing Florida International on the schedule, but maybe they've always been there May eighteenth but you just wonder if getting some more midweek games. I know the only midweek games left now are Louisville, Northern Alabama, which is between Ole Miss, the Alabama and the Ole Miss series, and then Florida International. I'm not sure what the limit for the number of total games were this year. You just wonder if that could just get some guys some extra reps. Um, they're out of school. They're – you know, if there's been any rainouts, but I, I'm just not sure about that. You, have you heard any of that?
1: The FIU game was on the schedule to begin with. I could have sworn that Corbin said something about maybe adding an extra game. Although I don't know if you really want to do that, given the depth. I don't know. I guess you could make the opposite case that it might be good to, to get some Hunter Owens and some guys, some work. Uh, no mention their schedule. The one game, although I don't know that it's really going to be a factor, but their RPI could take a hit just from playing North Alabama. That right. team's 7-34 and, and 278 in the RPI. So if you're hoping for a rainout somewhere, uh, that, that might be the one. I mean, although on, on the other hand, right, that that's one that, although they almost beat Alabama two weeks ago. Alabama had to come back in the ninth to win that one. But that might be an opportunity to get some of your younger arms some confidence and, and maybe run into a guy that you've gotten confidence that you can use in Hoover or, or in a pinch in an NCAA tournament game. So I, I guess everything cuts both ways. But anyway, that's, that's how it looks coming down the stretch. And all the way at Louisville now, 55 in the RPI after getting swept by Clemson this weekend. So that one, it'll be a road win if they can get it, uh, but it doesn't quite boost you as much as you would have thought before the season.
0: Yeah, that that was surprising that outcome this weekend. They've uh, what are they nationally? Louisville? Are they now? Are they ranked or?
1: uh, let me pull it up. I know, I know they're still ranked, and this will yeah. be one. It'll be interesting to see how the NCA plays it with the RPI this year again, just because it's it's such a weird deal. You got some leagues only playing in conference. You got the ACC. I think with an expanded conference schedule, Louisville is 15 in D1 baseball this morning. But frankly. I don't think they're a host. If you if you do the field today, um, let me see. They're eight and five against Quad One. They lost two or three to Notre Dame. the The problem is all their Quad One wins are, are mostly against thirty seven to forty seven. Uh, yeah. So you start putting up a resume and saying, uh, well, for example, Vanderbilt. Well, they they take. Two from Tennessee. They take two from Mississippi State. Now Vanderbilt is going to be on the upper end of that discussion, but yeah. when you start comparing Louisville's wins there against teams that might be in the NCAA tournament or might not, I just don't think that they've got a real strong resume. So I don't. I don't even know if Louisville. Um, and, and certainly I think if if they can't get the Vandy here or get a game from Vandy, let me see who they've got this weekend. I think Louisville to me. It's going to be a team that's going to have a hard time hosting. They got Duke this weekend, but Duke's 18 and 18, and that's at Louisville, 52 RPI. That's not going to move the needle. Uh, Louisville really needs to get this game Tuesday against Vanderbilt if it's going to have any shot to host.
0: Yeah, and it's it's like I mentioned earlier, it's going to be an emotional game, uh, just with all the activity that went on in Omaha two years ago. So. Hopefully this team, and I don't know who's going to be on the bump for us. That's I mean, who would you guess? I mean, goodness. I mean, I don't know if they go back with Schultz. Um,
1: I would guess Schultz. I mean, he's pitched pretty well in that role, although the teams he has faced have not exactly been Louisville.
0: Right, right. Well, it will be um, interesting to see what happens with that uh, on Tuesday night. Um, uh, I guess it's Yeah, tele- ESPNU. And then you got the three this weekend, another Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, six thirty two and one. And I guess we're still gonna be a little bit capacity than like we were at the Mississippi State. I guess the, we can't have 100% capacity till the last weekend, uh, May 20th, because that's that May 14th date that was set by Metro. So uh, one series this weekend that potentially, one series this year that can potentially be at full capacity, and it's the last one. How many people do you know that haven't been vaccinated? <laughs> not many. Uh, not many at all. Uh, uh, it, uh, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, younger kids aren't because they're not getting it. Um, and, But I just, it's weird. I mean, and it just depends on, Chris, some areas of Nashville. You know, like, I mean, I don't know anyone who's come down in COVID in a month. But it's out there. You see it on the news. You see it that it's, it's just, you know, It's I think it's, Certain zip codes, it's a hot pocket, so, uh, you know, and I guess it's kind of like when you set a precedent, you set a policy for Metro Nashville, it's kind of like the old joke about Jolton, when Jolton's in Metro and when it would snow up there, I guess it's a higher elevation, you know, it's in Davidson County, so they have to close the schools because the buses, you just can't say, well, we're going to we're gonna close part of the schools in in Metro, uh, it's a system-wide thing, and um, oh, don't even get me started, don't even get me started.
1: Well, I mean, it, it used to be right. We we take in the information, we make our own decision on stuff, and that's how it went. But
0: uh, well, let's let's just hope let's just hope we we get an uptick here. I, I think the the boys will uh, respond. Um, like I said, those um, those road trips home uh, they they mentioned a funny story, which I you know Kyle Peterson and Tom Hart I think do a good job. I, I, Kyle is. Uh, kind of has that deadpan humor, sarcastic, self-deprecating, but he knows a lot of stuff. And Tom Hart is kind of a statistical. He throws out these guys where they went to high school. And, you know, this guy also is interested in yoga. I mean, just your, just some out, you know, he does his homework. But he mentioned uh, there was a time, he was talking about the history in Gainesville of Corbin being a coach. And... He thought it was a couple years ago. I don't know if you heard this story uh, that Corbin wore his uniform on the plane. He was so mad uh, after one of the games. I guess maybe we got swept or two out of three. uh, But there, uh, that he just didn't even bother dressing. They had a charter flight. It wasn't like he was on Southwest and Group B or whatever. It it was a charter flight. But I promise you, knowing uh, knowing that the way that staff operates there wasn't a lot of talking on the plane on the way home. Uh, they, As much as um, he does a good job of teaching life lessons and and, and teaching kids about uh, the game of baseball and, and all those little things, they are competitive as they uh, all get out. And, and they're probably, it was a pretty silent plane uh, because it just kind of gets you a chance to gather your thoughts and like, all right, what are we going to do to write this thing Get it back on track, and this week's a good place to start.
1: The only thing that would surprise me about that story is if it's only happened once. <laughs> right,
0: right. Oh, I know there was, there was a guy. Uh, um, I'm going to tell a little story here that uh, I'm not going to mention names, but there was there was a about five or six years ago. No, it was more than that. It was probably eight or nine years ago. And Vanderbilt was playing somewhere, and there was. It used to be if you were a member of the champion circle or the bullpen club and you gave a certain amount of money. One of the perks was you could go on an out of town trip with the team. And um, you could just, you know, get on a bus you get on the bus with the team, stay at the hotel and and uh, it's a pretty nice perk. You just travel like you're one of the staff or whatever. And they played a game and and they lost uh, they lost I think the second game of three game series and the bus was silent on the way back. Well this guy who was on the bus, who was the <laughs> the donor or whatever was on his cell phone, just talking away, just saying, "Well, we lost You know, we lost another tough one." You know, he's the only guy talking on the bus. <laughs> oh and no! Finally, and you know, didn't know the rule, wasn't explained to him. Finally, someone had to. And since this gentleman has passed away, he was a great guy, but some one of the assistant coaches or the you know the staff members had to go back and go, "Hey, there's no talking on the bus. If if we lose a the game, there's no talking. You gotta shh." So I think it was pretty embarrassing, but a but a funny story, the one of those like, oh, I didn't I didn't know the rule kind of things.
1: Um, I'll give you one of the best quotes I've ever gotten. I was doing a story on Tim for a local magazine, and I think this would have been around fifteen. In fact, I think that's when it was, right after they'd won a national title. So things had started to loosen up. I mean, Tim went through a time where I, I think he was afraid he wasn't gonna get a national title and you know his his footnote to his career would be had had talent and you know underachieved in the postseason and and frankly for about you know nine years that was sort of a maybe not nine but that that sort of got to be a topic, um. You know, as, especially in thirteen when when they go twenty six and three in the league and and don't get to Omaha and all that stuff. So I think fourteen was a big relief to him. But I was doing a story on him. I was talking to Maggie, and I've known Maggie since the beginning, and we were talking about how he had sort of cooled off, <laughs> and and she was telling me a story about, or, or maybe giving me an antidote about how, and you know how he did this. He would they'd lose a game in midweek, uh, they could have a fifteen game oh, yeah. winning streak and lose a game three to two Lipscomb, and you know the world would be coming to an end. Uh, and, and she was telling me about how he would sleep in his office, and she's giving me a quote. In the middle of sleep in in his office, she said, or perhaps I just say not sleep in his office right right
0: <laughs> I don't think there there was there was probably not any of that going on as well, but yeah, and just to, you know that whole no, no talking on the bus thing, I even had that at high school it, it, at least going to the game you would there would be no talking uh so after a game uh it was a, if you won of course there was you there was celebration a lot of stuff going on, but, um, and that's not highly unusual, but yeah, it's just different guys have different ways of doing it. And I'm not saying that's all too uncommon, but the, the, the funny thing is, is just this guy was on the phone talking about his golf, golf game. He's going to play tomorrow. And, you know, and he found a good golf course down here in Oxford or whatever. And (laughs) that that did not go over too well. So.
1: I have ridden the bus with them, uh, once back in Oh five. Yeah, that was it. Um, when I was about the only guy really covering them, um, they had a, and this is before all the games were on the radio. They had a a midweek play by play crisis. Uh, and so I got selected to call about a dozen games on the radio. Uh, and and I'm sure I was awful, but I was the, the only option they had. And I was calling game. I was literally calling games into a phone. I would sit there and hold a receiver to my ear. (laughs) And I think I did that the whole weekend in Oxford. Um, but I, I went on a bus trip with them down, um, and I, I'll, I'll I'll save the names, although the names would make this funnier. Um, <laughs> there there was a certain guy who had um, spilled his smoothie at the back of the bus, mm. um, and I guess one of his teammates came up to to clean that up and. Um, I, I I witnessed a quizzing of the guy of why why can't you clean up your own mess? Which the impressive thing about that was I never saw Tim turn around the entire time. Um,
0: yeah, it's all business. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I, I'm not I, I, again. That's probably as much as I should say, but it was and it was kind of done and fun. But taking that road trip with them, uh, and of course that's one of those that like you know what you see on the bus kind of stays on the bus, and not that there was really anything much to see. But I was really impressed. Uh, with just being around them that whole weekend and seeing how the program ran, and, and and you kind of understand a lot more about why they succeed when you're up that close to them for a weekend.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, there's there's stories and a lot of the baseball, you know, the memories of winning games and and how you do it and training and all that. But the the, the life on the road and traveling with one another and the stuff on the bus and it, it, there there's a lot of stories there that. The casual fan might not pick up uh, on, but uh, being a player who's gone through that, those are some of, as far as just the personal memories, that stuff you remember. You might not win if, you you know, 25, 30 years ago, like how did we do against Florida that weekend or when we went down there? You you, you might not remember that, but you definitely remember the, the tales from the road. Absolutely.
1: Well, Chip, I've kept you longer than I anticipated. I appreciate you coming on today. Real estate's booming in around – Nashville, and uh, you've got a business in that. I want you to have a couple minutes to tell folks about what you do and where to reach you.
0: Yeah, the market's still hot. And I'll just keep this real quick uh, for all the listeners of the podcast. Uh, Frederick and Clark Realty, we've been around since the 60s. Uh, One of the premier real estate companies, we're proud to say, as far as results and sales and accolades from our realtors. We have over 180 agents now in two locations one in Williamson County and Maryland Farms. And then one in Green Hill. So if you're thinking about buying or selling a home, you need to call one of us, especially if you're a Vanderbilt guy, gal. You're uh, you're you're someone who uh, is close to the program because we have deep roots in the Vanderbilt program. The principals are all Vanderbilt graduates. Uh, I played baseball there. My dad, my late father, played basketball in in the 1950s. So we will understand your needs and. Houses on the low end of the range, houses in the multi-million dollar range, we understand all of them. So check us out on the website during this extremely hot, flaming hot market. It's a good market. It is a seller's market. continues to be so. So if you're a person who is selling or buying because you need the consultation on both sides, give us a call. We'll hook you up with one of our agents and, and uh, help you out. We're at frederickandclark.com, 615-327-4800 is our number.
1: Hey, Chip, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. All
0: right. Thanks, Chris.
1: All right. He's Chip Breeder from Chris Lee. Thank you for listening
0: to the Vandy Sports Podcast.